Thank you, Charlie. Hi, everybody. How are we doing? Hey, that uh, proximity conference is going to be something else. Now, they're out of tickets. They've sold out already, right? Is that what he said? Almost? I wonder if they're going to be scalpers out there. I got two. Anyway, just just kidding. Just kidding. You don't want to. Hey, I'll buy two. and No, no just kidding. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to um, broadcast it live on his channel. I'm going to be doing the like the color you know the play-by-play guy when you know when these guys are talking on that so that'll be fun to, fun day to be there so if you can be there uh, looking forward to seeing you and these guys are a uh, a huge blessing what a group uh, Barry's put together with Amir Jan and Jack uh, and what a crazy world we're living in right this is nuts this is absolutely uh, crazy the events of the um, the last week we um, it was last Sunday. Jack Hibbs got a hold of me and said, Don, I think we need to do an emergency uh, happening now because of what's taken place. And yeah, it was a fullness of time. We did one Wednesday night. We've already got over 300,000 views from uh, YouTube and Facebook on that. And uh, Lord really blesses when we do this because people want to know what's going on, what's going on in the world. And uh, let me just tell you something. Here's the key message that I want you to take with you today. God is in control of all things. It's all happening in his control. Okay? So... That is that is really, really, you know, what we need to take out of this. That's what I'm going to emphasize this morning, and I, that's kind of my message for 2020. I call this talk 2020 Vision. So if uh, that's a very creative title, isn't it? Anyway, uh, so if you have your Bibles, we return with Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. <clears throat> and before we look forward, we've got to look back and forget about the past. One of the things that God wants each of us us to do as believers is constantly move forward, all right? Look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have asked to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. One of the points I often like to make when I speak to groups is um, a point I call remember to forget. Remember to forget. This is something all of us need to do. First of all, 2019 is behind us now. Let's move on. It's 2020. We need to forget the past. Not that we don't remember it, but to, to put it behind us as much as we can. I know there's some things that carry over, but the Bible always talks about us going forward. And this is the whole point I want to get across. We are on a path towards eternity, and the enemy would like us to do one of two things, turn and look behind us or stay in neutral. But we need to all go forward, forgetting those things which are behind. In other words, let's realize there's things today we got to deal with. The past is the past forever. Tomorrow never comes. When it's tomorrow does come, it's today, right? And so human nature always likes to either look at the past and think how great it was or look at the future and think how great it will be. But the trouble is we have to live in the nasty now and now today, don't we? Today is the day we have to live. Jesus and Matthew 6 says, you know, sufficient each day is the evil thereof, talking about seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. But, you know, one of my experiences over the years in talking to people is that so many Christians are just stuck, stuck in the past, stuck in either good or bad times, how bad it was, how good it was. 
And the, and the enemy uses it so we're not effective today. There's a story I like to tell. It happened to me when I was first started public speaking, first started doing um, any type of national thing in the United States. It was in the 1970s, actually, late 78, 79. I forget what year it was. One of those two. Uh, what year did Elvis die? Was it 77? 77? Yeah, well, that was the year. Because I remember that somebody mentioned that to me at the camp there, and I didn't know it. And they said, as a matter of fact, what? Anyway, that's, okay, 77, thank you. Oh, I am getting old, 42 years ago. Four, wait a minute, this is, that's 43 years. Anyway, um, I, was, I was doing this retreat, all right, for these high school uh, students from uh, Chicago and Milwaukee. There's a place in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. They have this wonderful retreat center there on the lake. It's fabulous, fabulous. And they had about 500 kids there, and I was the main speaker. And I got there a little early. And they asked me, uh, you know, since you're here a couple of days, we're all going to this concert. They had this huge, they, I guess they still have this huge amphitheater where they have open-air concerts with people from Milwaukee and Chicago go to a big, big area. Holds about 10,000 people. They said, would you like to go to it? I said, no, no, I used to do that stuff as an unbeliever. I saw every group and any group you could mention, you know, in, in the world, and I gave all that up. And, you know, I just wanted to forget that life, put it behind my own. But they said, no, 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 no. This is going to be a decent concert. I said, really? I said, who's playing? And, and they said, Sean and I. You remember them? Bows in the group that did the, okay, you get, did the, uh, they sang the 50s songs in the 60s. And I said, yeah, I'd love to go to that. And so, it, and it was a fabulous concert. These guys were, were so good, so very good. But here's the thing that got me. This was 1977, I believe. I get there, there's 10,000 people all dressed like it's 1955. I'm serious. Every they come up in these, you know, Chevys and that, and with the dice, you know, go from the uh, mirror, and they're all dressed except for me. You know, I'm dressed like it's 1977. And what was interesting to me, I was kind of milling around the crowd, and I was listening to conversations. And you would think it was still the mid 50s. They were talking about things that were going on in the 50s because, see, that was a very idyllic time here in America. Very simple time, a very, shall we say, naive time. It was after the Second World War, and, you know, there's a lot of optimism there. We didn't have the events of the 60s, you know, and all that. And I was thinking about this, how these people, are they were living in the past. They really were. And they wanted to be in the past. And I was, and it kind of got me, how many Christians are like that, too, thinking about, remember the great old days when the revival came and this and that? Or the great days in the future, but again, we have to live right now. So let's learn to put as much as we can the past in the past, because I have met people, I can tell you uh, too often, that something they did six days ago, six months ago, six years ago, it's still bothering them to the place where they're totally ineffective for the Lord. We've got to forget the things that are behind. So let's now move forward to the year 2020 and realize the past is in the past and understand there's some various exciting times going on. I want you to turn one more place, the 12th chapter of the book of Daniel, if you will, and we're going to talk about where we're at right now and how we can know what's going on in the world. Daniel chapter 12, we're going to look at verse 4 here. Daniel 12, 4. Daniel talks about here, as we learn um, what's going on, we can't, the basic lesson is that we can't understand, we can't understand the times that we're living in. We really can know what's going on. I cannot tell you, and you've probably seen it. Remember, if you were watching, what was the last, was it, Tuesday, it was Tuesday night, wasn't it? Uh, when the bombs were taking off from um, the missiles from Iran over to Iraq to our bases. 
and just watching the faces of the commentators there. They sound like, you know, chewing their fingernails down to their elbows, like it's going to be the end of the world in that, not knowing what's going on. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, Daniel was told this, But you, Daniel, close up these words and seal the book until, that's the key word, until the time of the end, many will dash about and the knowledge will increase. This is the end of the wonderful book of Daniel, where God uses this prophet, giving him more insight into the future than probably, arguably, anybody else who's ever lived. And after telling him all these wonderful things about what's going to happen, remember he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, actually told him what he dreamt and interpreted it. He had his own vision, his own dream of the future. He had the vision, he had the revelation to him of the coming of Christ the first time, of events that would take place from his time between the Testaments, all these things. And then we get to uh, verse 4 of Daniel 12, and he's given this final information, and here's what he's told. Close up the book. This this time, you're not going to understand it. It's only going to make sense at the time of the end. Many are going to go about trying to find answers, but they're not going to find it. The knowledge will increase. Now, the knowledge he's referring to is not knowledge per se, but it's knowledge of the book of Daniel, knowledge of Bible prophecy, knowledge of what's going to happen in the future. It's only at the time of the end this knowledge will increase. And one of the things that is fascinating for us living here in the, in the 21st century, the year 2020 now, hard to believe, but we're in 2020, the knowledge has increased to the place where we can understand the times we're living in if we're paying attention. But it's really interesting, as we keep reading here in this passage, it's highly instructive things. Look at verse 8. This, to me, is amazing. If this doesn't help your self-image, nothing will. Daniel heard some of these personages speaking, and he said, I heard, but I did not understand. So I said, Sir, what will happen after these things? All right, here is Daniel the prophet. Given all this information, all this insight, all this, you know, God just lays all this on about, you know, what's going to happen in the future. But then he's given this other part. He hears it, but he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. So what's going to happen after these things? Now, look at the answer here. And again, this will really, really, really help your self-image. Verses 9 and 10 of Daniel 12. He said, go, Daniel. For these matters are closed and sealed until, until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made clean and refined, but the wicked will go on being wicked. And here's the punchline. If you want to underline, put the yellow marker through a sentence in your Bible. None of the wicked will understand, though the wise will understand. All right. Here's what Daniel's told. The truths I'm giving you are closed and sealed until a certain time in the future when it will make sense. Until the time of the end, it will not make sense. So, Daniel, even though you've been given all this information, although you've been you know, told all these things, you're not going to get it. Nobody will until those living at the time. The wise will understand. Well, gang, this is the time, and the wise are those that take the Bible seriously. We can understand. We can know what's going on. In fact, it is literally amazing how much we can know and can understand, simply because God has laid it out for us. Now, he did this, recall, the first time around when the Lord Jesus came. Remember, when he was the baby Jesus was brought there uh, you know, to the temple uh, by, his, by uh, Joseph and Mary. And he had two people there that knew. 
that understood the times. He had a man named Simeon, a very old man who was waiting. He was shown by the Lord. He wouldn't die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. When he held the baby Jesus, he said, now your servant can go in peace, Lord. You know, my eyes have seen your salvation. Then Hannah, the prophetess, 84 years of age, uh, been around forever, around the temple area, sees the baby Jesus, starts prophesying, praising God. They got it. They understood. They understood the times in which they were living, the time of the first coming of Christ. But Daniel is speaking way beyond that to the second coming. There's one other person, actually, who did understand, and that was at Mary of Bethany about Jesus' death. So the first time around, we only know three people who really got it. Now, the second time around, God has done the same thing. He's given us an outline of what we should expect the world to be like, what we should see, And when we start seeing all the pieces of the puzzle come together, we know that the time is near, the end is near. And this is something that is literally unique in our generation. Other generations have thought they have seen these things, but they have not. And if you, and if you put all the things together, we're going to talk about a little few of them this morning, you can see the hand of God in this in such a way it is literally mind-boggling. And the bottom line is God's got everything under control. And here's the reason I want to emphasize this. He's not only got the world under control, he's got you and I under control too. He's got our lives under control, so we don't need to worry about it. He has taken care of everything. We trust him. History is going someplace, and we're going with him. That's the great news here. And so if we understand that God has laid all this out for us, and all of it is is literally being fulfilled right in front of our very eyes, it tells us, number one, there is a God that exists. Number two, there's a God that knows the future. Number three, there's a God who's in control of future events, and a God who is basically reveals some of these events to us so we can get excited about it. We can understand. So as we live our lives, realizing the same God has made promises to us, he's going to keep those just like he keeps the promises to the world. And so basically what I want to do a little bit is just share some of the promises he's kept to the world and how literally amazing this is. It's um, Again, most of you know we do a program. I do a program. In fact, I did with Barry on Thursday, the break uh, World News Briefing. But I do a program five days a week on his channel called Breaking News from 10 to 11 every day. And uh, when we, uh, you can watch it either live or on video on demand. And it's uh, we have fantastic, fabulous response. But I have an hour a day, five days a week, to talk about events that have something to do with Bible prophecy, last days, how it all fits in. And at the end of the month, you know, after I do, Ted, Ted headlines a, a, a show, so that's uh, 10 times 5, 50, you know, what would that be, 50 a week, 200 a month. And at the end of the month, i am probably got 250 stories I can't even get to. There's so much going on. That's how incredible it is. But I want to share with you how precise God's word is. But then again, something, if you watch the program, you know something I've been warning about. I got to share this, too, on um Wednesday night went with Jack. These things that are happening because you've got, you know, Iran. Iran is one of the people, people groups that's prophesied in Ezekiel 38, be part of the last day's coalition attacking Israel. So people, you know, are saying, this is it. This is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. The answer is no, it's absolutely not. It is not the Ezekiel 38 battle. It is not for a number of reasons. Number one, as we mentioned, 
Iran is the aggressor here against the United States. In Ezekiel 38, it's, it's Russia who is the aggressor. Gog, the leader, comes from uh, present-day Russia, the, called Rosh in Scripture. We always have to say it's not Russia because it sounds like Rosh sounds like Russia. It's because Rosh is the country the furthest north of both Babylon, where Ezekiel was, where Israel is. But anyway, he's called the Prince of Rosh, the leader of Rosh. That's the person who's going to lead this. And so Russia is going to be the group leading this. Russia is nowhere to be seen in this Iran thing, number one. Number two, the second reason it can't be is because the United States is ready and willing and able in this. Now, the United States will be leaving the Middle East. That's one of the interesting stories, what's going on now. We've been talking about uh, they want to leave. Everybody else wants us to leave because we learn, conspicuous by their absence, we are not there in this final last day's battle. We've talked before about a number of reasons why, but we're not a player, so we have to leave the area. And so that is not what's happening right now. We have a battleship station right now outside of the waters of Bahrain looking right down, the, you know, in the crosshairs with Iran on the other side of the Gulf. And believe me, the United States is ready, willing, and able. If you heard President Trump the next day uh, warning the Iranians after fortunately no one was killed, they said, we've got bigger missiles than you. We've got longer-range missiles than you. And literally, um, if you're, you know, some of you there military or know what's going on there, we have the firepower to basically wipe them out in about 30 minutes if we wanted to. And they know that, too. And so, uh, in Ezekiel 38, 39, there's nobody, nobody that comes to the aid of Israel. Nobody can and nobody will. And that's why this leader doesn't have a problem, you know, doing this last day's invasion. And so that's not the situation right now. So you got the wrong country leading it. you got the United States in it. Israel, according to Ezekiel 38.8, is taken by surprise in the last days. <laughs> well, they're on the highest military alert right now. They're not surprised at all. They are ready for anything that would happen. And so that is not going to be an issue. Uh, you know, that's not fulfilling the Ezekiel 38 now. And then one of the other interesting things, too, which people f- tend to forget, uh, it's a boots-on-the-ground invasion. The nations are mentioned that are going to be part of this, and one of the nations that's going to be in this is called Put, and that's modern-day Libya, and Libya is not ready yet. But this is one of the great things I shared Wednesday night, one of the things I've been sharing last week, and I'll be sharing this week. It is literally mind-boggling how... As the, the countries that are circling Israel, they're all lined up. Libya is the one, basically, that hasn't lined up. Well, right now, there's things happening that are, again, you can't make this stuff up. That Libya is now, basically, there's a peace treaty being signed by both Russia and Turkey to get into Libya and start controlling it. And Turkey, Russia, and Iran are the three biggies that are going to invade Israel. Again, again, you can't make this stuff up. The Leviathan uh, natural gas field that's out there in the Middle East, that just went online. Um, of all things, Israel is competing with who? With Turkey and Russia in this. Again, two of the countries that have come down and invade Israel in the last days. Bottom line is all this. This is not the invasion that it's talking about, but it's certainly setting the stage. These things are not happening by chance, not happening by coincidence. They're so minutely put you know, in Scripture, and minutely filling in the blanks right now, that is literally mind-boggling. Barry and I talked about on Thursday, uh, years and years ago, when I, you know, Pastor Chuck and I did his channel, we only did one hour a week. All we did, World News Briefing, one hour a week to talk about the events that are happening. 
And literally, it was very tough filling up one hour to find events. It was. I was fortunate that Pastor Chuck talked very slow, so that helped fill up the time. And so uh, that, that did. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I don't, don't have anything else. And then it got to the place where I had, you know, ended up with like, for a week, like 25 stories so we could handle it. Then 50. Then 100. Then 200. And now, you know, we've got almost that many every single day. But the bottom line is, as we watch these things come about, what it tells me is that the God of the Bible is controlling every aspect. It is so, I mean, to think this would happen by chance is beyond any type of, you know, it's, it can't, it can't. You go down the list. All these things are happening by chance. And, you know, we go down the list that Israel still exists in the last days. They are in the spotlight of the world. They have great wealth. They've created great wealth from, from poverty, from a country been destroyed. The nations around them, the specific nations that are mentioned are, uh, you know, there in scripture. And the three main ones, Iran, Russia, and Turkey, uh, which have never had a military alliance together now for the first time do. And there's been four times the leaders of these countries have met and uh, you know when it talks about at least are secular headlines Iran uh, you know Russia and Turkey filling the gap in the Middle East and then the remember the leader the leader of Russia is going to be the leader of this thing Pat Buchanan recently wrote an editorial said is Vladimir Putin the new king of the Middle East here we go. Well, we're not saying Putin is necessarily Gog, but he's acting, as Joel Rosenberg says, very Gog-esque by taking things that don't belong to him, and he's the only person there that talks to every country. The point is simply this. As we look at these things over and over again, uh, it's just literally mind-boggling, but the thing that hits me every day is how minutely God has all of this in control. Can you imagine what would it take to set all this up, to have the countries in place, to have the enemies in place, to have those who are siding with Israel in place, to have Israel in place, to have the United States there for now, but then moving out? All of this, when you think of all the different parts that have to be put together to make this work, it is literally mind-boggling, yet it's all there. The, the, the pieces, the puzzle are all being put together. So what it does for me, every time you know I do a program, I, I, I take a step back, I think, Lord, this is literally, literally, you know, incredible what you're doing, what you're doing in the world today. Because you're, you're letting everybody know that you do exist, just like the first coming of Christ. You've told us the future, and yet we should be uh, paying attention because we should be confident that you are running the show, confident in our own lives. There's another account I always like to bring up. Remember on uh, the day of Jesus' resurrection, uh, Luke's gospel tells about these two people, one man named Cleopas and someone else on the road to Emmaus, and they, they left the uh, the scene of what had taken place at that particular time, and Jesus joins them. They don't know it's Jesus. Their eyes are supernaturally held back, Luke 24 tells us, not to realize that this is Easter Sunday now, too, that it was Jesus walking with them. And they, they have this conversation, and the stranger, Jesus, says, well, what are you talking about? They stop and look at him. What do you mean, what are we talking about? You know, uh, where have you been the last few days? You know, funny they should ask, but, you know, what's going on? Um, and he says, well, what about? And then they explain what basically they did. They explained Jesus to Jesus, not knowing it was Jesus they're talking about, too, okay? 
And it was interesting because of their imperfect understanding of the Lord Jesus. They shouldn't have had this. Uh, we were hoping he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Obviously, they lost hope. This is Easter Sunday morning. They'd already had two groups of women come to the disciples saying he'd risen. Angels, t- we came to the tomb. The tomb was empty. He's risen from the dead. Peter and John go, and they say, well, it's just as they said, the tomb's empty. They hadn't found the, uh, Jesus yet, hadn't seen him. He hadn't appeared to anybody. And yet the evidence was there, but they decided to leave the scene. And then what happened was Jesus then eventually denounced them when he, after they explained to him what was going on. And he said this, it's something that's always just, just got me. He said, oh, fools and slow of heart, shouldn't you have believed all that the prophets had said? It was necessary, was it not, for the Christ to first suffer and then enter into his glory. In other words, you should have expecting him to die and then come back from the dead. And then it said he explained to them all the passages concerning himself. Now, would you love to have been on that Bible study, going through the Hebrew Scriptures, predicting the coming of the Christ? But the key was understanding everything that was said. They should have known. They really should have known. Now, there's no excuse for us with the, today in uh, you know, 2020, 2020, of not knowing the times that we're living and of not understanding what's going on. None whatsoever because of the technology that's there, the ability to study these things, uh, that we can make some conclusions, like we said. Uh, God knows the future. He's in control of the future. And he's told us certain things. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, one of my favorite passages I like to bring up uh, when we talk about this subject, the Lord says this in Isaiah 48, 6, you have heard, now look at all the evidence, won't you admit that what I say is true? You have heard, look at all the evidence, won't you admit that what I say is true? All right, we look at the evidence and we see it, the world laid out as it was the first time, exactly the second time. And for some reason, and here's the thing, I don't claim to have any understanding of it. Maybe someone does. I don't. For some reason, we are the people that are allowed to see it. We are living in a day where these things are right in front of us, all of it coming to pass. It's not our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents. One of the interesting things I did when I was putting one of my books together, I did something I always wanted to do. I bought about, I think, 40 or 50 books that were anywhere from 100 to 400 years ago by people who took the Bible seriously, predicting what the world would be like in the last days. They had none of the things you and I have, but they predicted the exact scenario we see here right now in 2020 because they took the Bible literally and took it seriously. So the point is they had faith. Uh, All we have to do is open our eyes. And so here's the thing. We can trust the Lord. He is in control. He's in control of your life. He's in control of my life. He's in control of all circumstances. If we begin to understand that, then two things should happen. Number one, we should look at the totality of what the Scripture says about the God of the Bible and have that view of God that the Bible gives us. In other words, let us understand that God means what he says and says what he means. The God of the Bible is in control of all things. Jeremiah 32, 27, he says, I am the Lord, the God of all humankind. Is anything too difficult for me? And what's the answer? No, nothing is too difficult for him. So what we have to understand and realize here in 2020 is there'll be things we'll face. There'll be difficulties we have. If you live life, you're going to experience difficulties. You know, that's just the nature of the beast. But he is the one that can handle all things. All things are under his control. Nothing is too difficult for him. 
And so we need to remember that, recall that. So a couple of things we want to put together. As we see objectively around the world, God has set the stage perfectly for what he said is going to happen in the last days. Then we say, okay, what personally then is he saying to us? And the first thing he's saying to us is, remember, nothing's too difficult for me. Now, along that line, I'd had um, both my daughters here for Christmas. It was really great to see them. I hadn't seen them both in a year. And one of the things I, I've been mentioning to them, and it's kind of one of my messages too, along with 2020, we can trust the Lord. Give God a chance to work the supernatural in your life. The supernatural. Now, uh, time back here, we did the story, remember, of Joseph with you people. We did two Sunday mornings of that. And the point we mentioned, God supernaturally worked in the natural. There weren't any miracles. There weren't any, you know, heaven didn't open up. There weren't any, you know, walking on water. But there were one after another after another of these divine appointments or so-called coincidences that put everything together. Recall, here is this man, Joseph, uh, you know, sold into slavery uh, by his brothers when he was 17 years of age. They wanted to put him to death. But one of the brothers said no. But as they were waiting for him to die, what was what happened? Recall, uh, a caravan just happened to be passing by, just happened to be passing by the city of Dothan, where he was at at that time. But recall, they shouldn't have been at Dothan. Uh, they went uh, to Shechem, where they were supposed to graze, but there was no grass there for the you know for the animals to graze, so they had to move to Dothan. And the interesting thing about that, if they would have been at Shechem when Joseph and his brothers got caught up with each other, there was no caravan route that would have passed then. He would have been a goner, but the Lord made sure there's no grass there, so they had to go to this other place, Dothan, where the caravan comes by, takes Joseph, of course, brings him to Egypt. They sold him for uh, 20 shekels of silver, and who was it? Judas, remember, the brother that suggested selling uh, the favored son. They get there. He is sold to the leader of the captain's guard, a man named Potiphar, which will later relate to the story, because Potiphar, even though Joseph was the best, you know, person that could possibly be for Potiphar, his wife, uh, you know, falsely con- accused Joseph of trying to come on to her physically, and Potiphar threw Joseph in prison. But because he was a member of the captain's guard, Joseph got thrown in the royal prison, not with the regular prison with everybody else, but in the royal prison. And it was in the royal prison he met two of the royal people, the royal butcher and the uh, baker, excuse me, and the, you know, and um, there and the royal basically that he was the, you know, person that the, how would you call it? He did the work for Pharaoh. Uh, bottom line was the um, one of them was put to death as Joseph told them when they had their dreams, interpreted that. One of them was going to um, continue on, and he continued on. He, you know, three days later, as Joseph predicted with the dream, and but he forgot Joseph, we are told. And then it was a couple years later when uh, Pharaoh had his own set of dreams, and all of a sudden he knew it meant something, and he couldn't remember why. And again, this royal personage who had been there in the prisons. Because, oh, Yvay, I remember now, two years ago, there was this person in prison, this Hebrew man, who, you know, predicted the dreams for me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm here with you. Uh, the royal baker was put to death, and that's how he predicted it. And what happened was, as we know the story, Joseph was brought in, announced the uh, meaning of the two dreams, and before you know it, uh, Pharaoh says, well, now that you tell me that Egypt's going to have seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, and we need to have a granary and someone in charge of it to make sure we don't lose it in the last seven years, I'm appointing you to be in charge of that. 
And so the bottom line is, and as we did, again, it took us two whole weeks to get through the story, but the bottom line is this. All these things happened in the natural realm. There was nothing supernatural about his brothers wanting to kill him. There was nothing supernatural about a caravan just happening to being passing by. There was nothing supernatural about, the, unless God stopped the grass growing there in Shechem where they had to go to Dothan. There was nothing supernatural. He was sold into slavery. Nothing supernatural in the sense that he was going to the Potiphar's house, you know, and the royal captain of the guard, so he'd been thrown in the royal prison, so the chief butler and the chief baker, you know, when they were thrown in, he could, he could interpret their dreams. The point is this, God worked in the natural realm supernaturally. So here's, again, what I'm saying, realizing what God is doing in the world, let's give him a chance to be God and do things that we understand are not in the natural realm, but supernatural. Now, I don't mean necessarily, you know, having waiting for an angel to appear to you or, you know, some, you know, see some miracle in the sky or something like that. But I can tell you, I can tell you in my life, I'm sure many of you can tell me stories about the divine appointments, right? The divine appointments that just so happened. Boy, that was really interesting that I met this person here or this person called me here. I just happened to overhear this conversation or that. That's the Lord working. So he wants to work in our lives as he's controlling things in a way that is beyond the natural. Now, again, there won't be any, you know, you won't hear any angels singing or anything like that or harps playing. But you'll see the hand of God working because he is working so incredibly well in this world right now. We want to open ourselves up to him working. Let me tell you, I've had a number of events in my life where it's been very, very difficult. And my prayer would always be this. I would say, God, just be God. I want to do what I'm responsible to do. You do what you're responsible to do. You know, we have responsibility. What we should do when we have an issue, let's say there's an issue standing before us, we ask ourselves three questions. Number one, have I done everything I'm supposed to do about it? There's certain things we can do. We do all we're supposed to do. Yet the problem's still there. Okay, I've done all I can do. Now, the next question we ask is this. All right, is God able to do anything about my problem? Is God able? And this is where we start reading and thinking about stories in the Bible. Jesus walks on water, feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves and fish. And even the story of Joseph, supernaturally in the natural doing things. And then it gets in our nugget. Okay, yeah, God is able to do something about it. Okay, my God can do it. Then we ask a third question. I've done all I can do. God is able. Is God willing to do anything about my problem? You know what we find? God is not only willing to do something about your issue and my issue, he's practically begging us to give it to him so he can be God in our lives. And that's when we watch the supernatural work, as we're seeing it today, in ways that are literally mind-boggling as we live in our world. So we want to ask God, Psalm 50:15, call on me in the day of trouble. I will answer you, you will glorify me. And so we call on him and we ask him to work. But remember this, and this is something, it's hard for each of us to understand. This is my toughest problem to deal with. I, I don't own myself. The Lord owns me. I've been bought with a price. I want to run my own life. He wants to run it, and he can run it a lot better. I want to find out what I'm supposed to be doing. And so we say, Lord, I want to do this. I want to do that. Is this what you've got best for me? And we watch the Lord work. We watch it through circumstances. We watch it through other people, the encouragement. We watch it through the word of God. And we see him working in our lives in such a way where it all begins to make sense. Now, granted, there are some things in this life we will, we'll, it won't make sense. It will only be an eternity. We'll figure it out. But many times, and so many times in my life, and I'm sure in yours, you can look back and start 
connecting the dots and realizing, you know, now I see why God did that at the time. I didn't have any idea. I thought it was the worst thing that could happen. But then what do we see? We see God putting all these things together where it now makes sense. If this hadn't happened, then I couldn't have done this, 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 and this. Just like with the story of Joseph. So, again, we have such an objective witnessed right now that God is working. Like I said, that is the evidence we have of the world setting the stage precisely as the Bible predicted some two to four thousand years ago at the time of the end. Minutely filling it, I mean, it's, it's, it's literally mind-boggling how everything is perfectly falling into place. Just as scripture said, the wicked don't understand the wise will understand, and they will. And so the key is now, once we understand, we understand who God is, we understand um, the program for us, then what I want us all to do is put in this into practice. It's from First Chronicles 12.32. You may have heard this before. First Chronicles 12.32. From Ishakar, there were 200 leaders and all their relatives at their command. They understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Let me read that again. From Ishakar, there were 200 leaders and all their relatives at their command. First Chronicles 12.32. They understood the times and knew what Israel should do. This should be our goal. We should understand the times we're living in and know what we should do. Now, the point is, we can understand. Remember what Daniel 12.10 said at the time of the end, the wise will understand. So now it's our job, our goal to say, Lord, here I am. How can I be of impact? How can I be of effect in this, these last days? How can I be uh, someone who can help, help the ministry, help the body of Christ, be, be that person you would have me to be? And so we ask the question, how can I, you know, now that I understand all these things are going on, what do you want from me? Now, you know what he wants from us? The greatest ability we have is simply availability. Isaiah 6, 8. Isaiah says, Lord, here I am, send me. So what the Lord is looking for are volunteers, volunteers to be part of the army of Jesus Christ. But our weapons of warfare are not physical or carnal, but spiritual, to be the soldiers of the cross, as it were, as the song goes, but the soldiers that fight with spiritual weapons, not with physical weapons. So he's looking for people that say, Lord, here I am. And now, I know, I begin to realize, I am living in these special times, times that you predicted some, you know, 3,000 years ago that the world would come to. For some reason, you got me living here. I see all these things taking place, right? Just exactly as you say them. I understand you're in complete control of all things. I'm getting that now. And you, and you have me here at this time. So obviously, it's not a coincidence. So I want to know, what should I do? What, you know, what will you have me to do? And that should be our request. Lord, how can I be a effect in this world? How can I be of impact? How can I make a difference in this world today that needs people that have answers? Because remember, we are promised at the time of the end, the wise will understand. In other words, we will get it. We will understand what's going on. So if that's you today, here's what we all should do. Realize, number one, God's in control. Circumstances certainly tell us that as we look at the Bible, you know, as we look at the world's circumstances. Number two, that uh, we're here seeing them. Number three, the Bible tells us we can understand what's going on. But then we're not just to be spectators. We're supposed to be like the people of Ishakar, to understand the times and know what we should do. So I'm praying for each and every one of us, knowing that God is in control, knowing he's running the show in these last days. 
Let us pray that God will open our eyes to understand what's going on in the world today and then know what each of us should do. If we do that, believe me, you will see the hand of God working just like in the life of Joseph, the supernatural working in the natural in ways that are above and beyond anything you can imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for letting us live at these times in um, in history. I, we're humbled and uh, we don't even know what to say, how thankful we are that you're giving us all these signs, all this information right now that precisely what was predicted by you so long ago in your word, precisely what was predicted by uh, the biblical prophets, but precisely also predicted by people who took your word seriously and said, this is what the world will be like. So we know, Lord, you've got your hand on this world. You've got your hand on us. Lord, as we forget the past, put the past behind and move forward, help us, help us realize, number one, that you are in control of all things. It's all going to be fine. At the end of the time, you're going to win the battle. We're going to win because of you. But also, Lord, help us be like the people of Ishakar to understand and know what we should do, know how we should react, know how we should get involved, know how we should be your person, wherever it might be, in, in, at home, in the neighborhood, at school, at work, wherever it might be, or all of the above, to be that salt and light you'd have us to be in this age as we close to the end of the age, to a dying world. Lord, we thank you for for giving us the chance to live at this time. Thank you for Pastor Barry, what a wonderful friend and man of God he is, for this church and all the people here, Dave and all of Charlie and all the rest of them, that love you, that serve you, that are trusting you to work your will here for this group and also in all of our lives. Lord, again, I thank you knowing that you are working, and I thank you you're allowing us to work at this particular time in history, work for you, and watch your mighty hand. So again, Lord, Like Isaiah said so long ago, here am I, send me, show us what we should do. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.